Well, good morning once again. It is so good to be with you in the house of the Lord. Amen. And I want to thank those of you that invited someone to join with you today. And I want to thank those of you that took a bold move and, and joined us maybe for the first time today, whether here in person or online. We can't see you, but we're glad that you're here where we seek to follow after Jesus and share Jesus. How? By sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Amen. Amen. Well, College football season has come to an end, yes? And, and with it, an era has come to an end because the GOAT has retired. Any of y'all that are Nick Saban fans know that he has announced that he is retiring after 17 years at the helm of the University of Alabama. Some of us are pretty excited about that. Others are sad about that. Some of y'all may not even care about that. But, but there's a lot that can be taken and learned from the game of football as it relates to our faith. And, and long before there was Saban or Kirby or Harborough, there are a lot of other people that, that coached this game. And one that comes to mind is a guy named Bud Wilkinson. He was a former coach of the University of Oklahoma, and he, and he won three national championships. He won 14 conference championships before he retired. But after he retired, he went on to serve under JFK on the Presidential Council for Physical Fitness. And when he was on that council, he got interviewed, and the interviewer asked this question. He says, how has modern football contributed to physical fitness in America? And, or what has it contributed? And his answer was this, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And the interviewer was a little perplexed by that and said, could, could you expound on that? And to that, he says this, certainly, I define football as 22 men on the field who desperately need rest and 50,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise. There's a lot of truth to that, right? Not just in that day and this day, too, but, but the only thing different really is the stadiums can hold more spectators, right? The same is true today, and, and perhaps in many ways, maybe this is a metaphor for the church. Have you ever thought about that? Could this be a metaphor for the church? Think about how often we have a mindset that, 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 that ministry is relegated to the professionals on the field. And the rest of us are spectators to, to encourage and cheer them on. Rather than being active participants ourselves in the game, if you will. You know, Soren Kierkegaard had it right. He's a Christian philosopher from several years ago and he was reflecting on our, our understanding of worship, and he, he had this to say, and it's, it's, it's kind of sobering when you think about it. He says, worship isn't God's show. God is the audience. God's watching. The congregation, they are the actors in the drama. Worship is their show, and the minister is just reminding the people of their forgotten lines. Let that sink in for a moment. You see, think about how we do the work in the church. We oftentimes hand it over to elected leaders. Last week, we had a church meeting. It was a fantastic gathering after worship, and we consecrated our new leaders. Think about how sometimes we just hand off mission and ministry to, to the two or three deep. It was amazing to see those leaders gather at the beginning in the front of this sanctuary last week. How often we might tend to do that, and, and how often sometimes we buy into lie. And, and I was once there once that I'm simply just a lay person. But I'm here to tell you that you are more than that. 
In fact, one of my pastor friends, George Escovito, has this to say, that if you have given yourself to Christ, you are blood-bought, spirit-filled, enabled by God with many gifts to serve our great God with a great destiny. Let me say that again. Let that sink in. If you've given yourself to Christ, you are blood-bought, spirit-filled, enabled by God with many gifts to serve our great God with a great destiny. You see, Jesus didn't call fans. He called followers. He's not looking for spectators. He's looking for players. He's looking for us to step into our God-given purpose and the kingdom assignment that he has for you and for me and for us as a collective body of faith. And so over the next several weeks, this series of Get in the Game is going to be an opportunity for us, and it's my prayer, it's our prayer, that it would be a time where we would begin to to delve a little deeper into our God-given purpose. I got news for you, whether you're young in age or young in heart, God has a purpose for us in every season of life. I was praying with a parishioner yesterday, he's in the hospital and with his wife, and, and he said this, he said, I, I just want us to get healthy so we can get back and to be able to give back. I said, Mike, your kingdom purpose is right there in the hospital. Not only beside your wife, but also all those that are caring for her to be his light. You see, we all have a kingdom purpose, amen? For every season and every place that we are, we have a kingdom purpose. And so how are we going to do that? Well, if you've noticed, if you came in, you got an orange handout. And on one side is is a promotion about a Kazone experience. Some of y'all remember Kazone. Can y'all say that with me? Kazone. You got to get a little kind of back in the back of the throat. You know, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. And we had several small groups launched last year of people going through the Kazone process. We're going to hear from some of those over the next several weeks. But the invitation is if you haven't had an opportunity to join in, there'll be two flights this, this winter in February, one on Thursday, one on Saturdays. And we encourage you to consider joining in one of those. And if you flip it over on the other side, you're going to find open team positions, if you will, places where you can plug in and participate in the kingdom of God here through the way. In other words, a place to put your purpose into practice. Because if you think about it, this is simply the practice field. Can I get an amen to that? The real work, the real ministry is out in our places of work, our places of education, our, our schools, our community, the playgrounds, the neighborhoods. That's where our work really is. And here's the thing. If we would commit to this, if we commit to, to leaning in and, and, and discovering a little more about our God-given purpose, if we would be willing to take that next step toward our kingdom assignment, here's the thing. God's going to get the glory. Amen? People are going to get helped, and you and I are going to find fulfillment that we cannot find in any other way. And we all seek fulfillment. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Now, and led us in the Lord's Prayer today. Thank you for leading us in praying and then leading us in our, in our Lord's Prayer. And, and if you remember, the very opening of that prayer, this is the prayer that the disciples, when they said, Jesus, teach us, teach us to pray. The first thing he said is that thy kingdom come, what? Thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. In other words, for us to see heaven or earth look like heaven, do you know what it takes for, for that to happen? We're the answer to that prayer. You and I, when we step into our kingdom purpose, we are participating in allowing heaven to reign in our lives and through us and bring heaven to earth. Because, you know, it's not about just getting to heaven one day. So many people 
fall short of the full gospel. It's not about going to heaven. It's about heaven coming to earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that's a dangerous prayer to pray, isn't it? Because it involves us. It includes us. And it, it invites us to get out of the bleachers and get onto the field. So how do we do that, church? Well, we're going to spend the next several weeks doing, unpacking that. But today, I want us to look to Isaiah. I want to look to, to a man who had a pivotal moment in his own life that got him from the stands and onto the field. And to do that, I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. And let's read, beginning in verse 1 through verse 8 today, God's word for us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me this morning? Almighty God, I thank you for this, your word. And I thank you for what I believe is going to be a challenging word. First and foremost to me, I've been meditating on its own impact in my own life. But God, I pray that we would be open to the impact it can have on our collective life. And each and every person gathered here this morning as well. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and speak. May our hearts and our minds be open, and may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And all of God's children said, amen, amen. So we have just parachuted in to a game-changing moment in the life of Isaiah here in chapter 6. This is a moment in which he encounters God, and his life is forever changed, and the purpose of his life becomes abundantly clear. And Isaiah chooses to get off the sidelines and get into the game and go in all in for God, with God and for God, for the kingdom work that God has for Isaiah. And, and there's a threefold movement that we see unfolding in the steps, if you will, three steps that it took for him to get off the sidelines and onto the field that I think every follower of Jesus Christ encounters for themselves. And I want to unpack those for us today, and you might even want to write these down. The first is this, simply encounter the holiness of God. Encounter the holiness of God. You see, I think too often, sometimes we enter into a presence of God in a very casual way. 
in some ways, we've domesticated God. We think he's safe. And so we just kind of walk into it. But if you remember Chronicles of Narnia, you know, Mr. Beaver responded to Susan when Susan said to Aslan, asking about Aslan, is he safe? Mr. Beaver says this, safe? Who said anything about safe? He's certainly not safe, but he's good. And he is the king. You see, I believe that that's exactly what we're seeing Isaiah encounter here. He's encountering the presence of God. God indeed is holy and not just holy, he is king. What we see is an image of him filling the entire temple. He's sitting on the throne. His robe fills the place. Seraphs are flying around and they can't even place their eyes on the presence of God. So they're covering their faces. They're covering their bodies. And with that, they are shouting out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Heaven and earth are full of what? His glory. If you think about all the encounters of God's glory, going all the way back to Moses, he had to put a cover over his face when he came out. Because what? He was glowing, having been in the presence of God. You see, in some ways, we've lost sight of the holiness of God. And what we find is as these seraphs are shouting and singing, holy, 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 the very foundations of the temple are shaking. And I think Isaiah is shaking to the very core of who he is because now he recognizes he is in the presence of a holy God. And he recognizes he himself is not holy. You know, it's an interesting marker that he puts in this. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah was a cool dude. He was a good dude. He was a good king in the heart of the, of the Israel But you know, sometimes we can misplace our hope, our trust, and our faith in earthly leaders, can't we? And I think in many ways what what Isaiah was recognizing is that he had put his false hope, if you will, into Uzziah. And it took Uzziah dying. It took the earthly king dying for him to turn his eyes from what was in before him to what was above him, the presence of God Almighty. Isn't that the same reality for you and I when we encounter Jesus Christ? Sometimes we have to allow the king to die, whoever that may be. And dare I say, it is I, it is you, it is us. We ourselves, we have to allow the king to die. When we become arrested with the presence of God, when we become arrested with the encounter with Jesus Christ, we have to allow the king to die in us. Isn't this what we see Saul doing? You remember Saul, the great persecutor of the church. He had an encounter with the holy God, Jesus Christ, and he was forever changed. He became Paul. He became the greatest proclaimer and church planner in the first century of the church. And he wrote this to the church in Galatia, and you might as well write it to us. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I now live in the body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me who's your king who's your king better yet have you been arrested by King Jesus. Have you been arrested by King Jesus the way that we see Isaiah arrested by being in the presence of a holy God? Have you had that moment in your life? If not, maybe today is the day to have that moment, that awakening that you stand in awe of the presence of the most holy God. That's the first step. 
encounter the holiness of God. But Isaiah didn't simply encounter the holiness of God. It led him to something. Recognizing that, that he wasn't God, it recognized that he needed to acknowledge his own sinfulness, his own shortcomings. That's the second step. After encountering the holiness of God, it leads us to a place where we have to acknowledge our own sinfulness. Isaiah did it in a beautiful way. He said, woe is me, I am ruined. Any of y'all ever said that before? Kind of old English, but woe is me. I mean, I mean it's almost like he said, I'm undone. Any of y'all come undone with the reality of your own life? It led Isaiah to a place where he got honest with God, which begs the question, when's the last time you got honest with God? Truly honest with God. When was the last time I got honest with God? When was the last time we got honest with God? Because, you know, we as Americans, we, we don't like to suffer, do we? We like our creature comforts, don't we? And honestly, <clears throat> I mean, you look at the culture, <laughs> we don't like truth in many ways. We're truth-averse as much as pain-averse in many ways. In fact, we try to shirk from the truth, don't we? Thomas Jefferson tried to cut out the truth when he didn't like it. We do a lot of the same thing. But John reminds us in his epistles, the, the first letter that he writes, he writes this in 1 John 1. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, perhaps today is a day in which we need to get honest with God, and when we get honest with God, we also need to recognize this. God doesn't want to hurt us. God wants to help us. Can I say that again? God doesn't want to hurt us. God wants to help us. We all know the infamous John 3.16. That's what's usually put on the cheeks, right, of the football players. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world, they sent his one and only Son into the world, that whoever believed in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. But you might as well also put John 3.17 there. Because it's in 3.17 we realize that he says, For he did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through him. See, God doesn't want to hurt us. God wants to help us, but he invites us to get honest with him and before him. Can I get an amen to that? First, there's the encounter with the holiness of God, and then it leads to an acknowledgement of Isaiah's own sinfulness. But there's one more step that took him from the sideline to the field, and that was his choosing to respond in obedience. Respond in obedience. If you look at the culmination of this text that we read, God's asking an open question. He's not directing it to Isaiah, but he's opening an open-ended question. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? You see, that question is being asked of all of us, but perhaps not all of us are hearing it because we haven't come attuned to where God is and what God is saying to us. But Isaiah in that moment, 
that life-changing moment, said, here am I. Send me. Send me. Notice that Isaiah's yes flowed out of his encounter with God. It wasn't to, to earn God's favor. It was in response to God's grace. He, he saw the seraphim grab the coal from the, from the altar of sacrifice and bring it and place it upon his lips and to, to purify his lips. Folks, we don't have a coal that needs to come to our lips. We have a Lord, Jesus Christ, who went to the altar, who laid down his life upon a cross for you and me, who shed his blood once and for all for all of humanity, purifying us of our bent towards sin and our own sinfulness. And he's inviting you and me not to simply be fans, but to be followers. You see, when we begin to grasp the immensity of his grace, how can we simply sit on the sidelines? How can we sit on the sidelines? There ought to be a holy discontent that comes up in us. Not only we want more of him, but we want others to have more of him themselves. And that involves us getting off our blessed assurance. There's a hymn on that, by the way. And stepping into the game for him. You see, there's a kingdom assignment for all of us. Jesus, we find in Scripture, would send out his disciples. And I love the way that our, our prayer community is doing a deeper dive on this, is recognizing that there's a threefold ministry that Jesus, we see Jesus doing in employing his followers to do, to teach, to preach, and to heal. To teach, to preach, and to heal. That's what we're called to, is a threefold ministry of Jesus Christ. And before he sent them out, he had something to say in a huddle with his disciples. It's found in Matthew Gospel, chapter 9, and I want to read it for us. Because chapter 10 is him sending them out onto the field, if you will. <clears throat> but just before that, we find Jesus saying these words. Actually, Matthew's going to put a little, little commentary to it first. Matthew writes, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching, there you go, in their synagogues, proclaiming, that's preaching, the good news of the kingdom. And there's the third one, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Folks, everywhere Jesus went, there were synagogues full of people. He'd go preaching in them. But everywhere he went, there were also people out, not in the synagogue, that were not being attended to. You think about today. Got an alarm, and I'll remind you why in a minute. If you look out today, look at Woodstock. There's dozens of churches full of people. There are thousands of people beyond this campus and the campuses of every other church where people are congregating this morning who don't know Jesus. And imagine if Jesus were to stand here on our front steps looking at 
Woodstock, he would say the very same thing. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Are few. I'm stepping on my own toes this morning. I hope you know that I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm stepping on my own in sharing this. But notice, he didn't immediately send them out. He sent them somewhere else to pray. Because 9.38, Matthew 9.38 says this, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask to pray. Matthew 9.38. My alarm went off because it's 9.38. I need to stop talking, amen? (laughs) Alan's waving his head. I'm asking you to set your alarm. Set a reminder. 9.38. Whether it be a.m. or p.m. or both. And would you commit to praying? Because that's the first step. Would you commit to praying? Would would you take that first step and, and, and begin just praying for yourself? God, would you reveal to me what my kingdom assignment is in this moment? In this moment. Because you see, there's kingdom assignments every day, all day around us. I got a text from uh, one of our parishioners just this past week. He was sharing how excited he was. He was trying to drum up some work for his construction business, and this woman called him, and she was struggling. And, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted him that he needed just to teach her that she could take God's word and remind God of his promises. Kingdom assignment right there in the midst of a transaction of business. 938, would you commit to praying for yourself, God, what is my kingdom assignment in this moment? Secondly, would you pray for this church that we would do this together? And thirdly, would you pray for those that have no church home, that are not part of faith community? Because after all, it's not about 22 people on the field. It's not about 50,000 people in the stands. It's about tens of thousands of people here around us that don't know the love of Jesus Christ. And it's our day and it's our opportunity to get off the sidelines and get into the field, get into the kingdom work that God has for each of us and that God has for all of us. Can I get an amen? It's time to get in the game. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you this morning. I know this is a challenging word because it's confronted me. I imagine many people here look at me and they're like, oh, he's a pastor. He's, he's already taken that step on the field. Well, in some ways I have, Lord, but you know, Lord, that there are moments every day, every day that I choose to sit on a bleacher rather than proclaim your name or to extend a healing prayer or simply a presence, a ministry of presence. So God, I pray that everyone here would recognize that I too know that there's more in store for me in the kingdom work in the kingdom game that you are about that we would see your kingdom come your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven lord help it to begin with us help it to begin with us here at the way move us into faithful obedience for you in everything we do I ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.